Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Good morning. Welcome to the 1st of July and welcome to Talk Back Gardening. Good morning, John. Good morning, Deb. Good morning, gardeners, particularly gardeners that would like to know why did we receive so much rain in June? It wasn't forecast. The models were suggesting it would be warmer and drier around about now and even our climatologist Darren Ray, who gives our weather forecast, was very surprised at the amount of rain we received and we'll have a comment from Darren very, very shortly. But Darren's been investigating uh, the weather systems and he's come across some very fascinating information, which maybe it is an explanation for why we got so much rain during June and could it continue into July and even longer? What does that mean for the weather models are saying are drier and warmer during Mm. summer? So stay tuned to what Darren has got to say. Yes, Darren will be joining us in just a moment and of course, uh, as we said, June in Adelaide was wet, 125 millimetres recorded at West Terrace when our average is 71.6. Just on that point, um, Fiona from Mylaw says 298 millimetres rain for June. The creek is flowing. Yes, and that's the water, a lot. And the water's flowing into their hills reservoirs. They went from fifty to seventy percent in the last two weeks in terms of capacity. So that's good news. That is good news. And one hundred and forty-five millimeters rain for June in Nairn. Thank you very much for that. And um, we've got quite a few texts too that I might be able to put to Darren when we join him very shortly. Also later in the program, John, many questions from our listeners regarding. Roses. When's the right time to prune and how to prune them right? And is there a right time to prune roses? Sometimes uh, they come into winter and they've still got their leaves on. When do you prune? Sometimes uh, you haven't pruned and they're starting to produce their buds for the following season. When to prune? Gavin Woods is our rosarian we love to talk to on Talkback Gardening. He'll join the program, take a look at when to prune and how to protect probably from spots and rots that could be coming our way. Wonderful. And I have to ABC Organic Gardener magazines to give away as well. But if you'd like to jump in the queue for Talkback Gardening, we would love to talk with you. The phone number is 1300 222 891 1300 222891 if you download the ABC Listen app uh, and favourite ABC Radio Adelaide you can just tap the app to get through uh, on the phone line. We love your comments as well and we value them um, the text line is 0467 but John does like to talk to you directly about your gardening problem Well let's get into the climate John Darren Ray good morning to you yeah, g'day John, g'day Deb, g'day to all the listeners out there. It certainly rained during June, and uh, I think if I may remind you, you did suggest probably June rainfall could be down about 30%, but so are the weather models suggesting that, and uh, I think we're all surprised. Uh, can I ask you just to comment, how do you react to the fact that it was so wet? Well, I, I must admit, I'm, I'm still still digesting and chewing away at a big big chunk of humble pie. Um, <laughs> oh, I don't think you have to. Uh, no, no, you, you yeah, and the well, rest well, of the forecasters in Australia. Well, well, I guess I mean, the, the, the 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 key the key to this, I think, at the moment, guys, is um, is there's there's some really interesting stuff going on around the planet, and you know, it's making I think basically making life a bit in- interesting, if not challenging, for 
for uh, you know climate scientists and uh, you know forecasters trying to understand what's going on. Um, we you know we have um, ocean temperatures globally that are off the charts, um, and that's been the case the last few months now. When and you say so they're off the chart, they're extremely warm. Extremely warm, yeah. Um, and you know we've got things like lowest lo the low Antarctic sea ice around Antarctica is at its lowest extent on record. Um, and you know we've got um, some major, you know, major climate events going on, like heat waves across Asia and and uh, the southern US, and massive fires in Canada, which big smoke plumes extending across to Europe. Um, so there's an awful lot of stuff going on, and um, yeah, it's I mean on the global temperature. So where they get, ocean temperatures, where that gets interesting is. Um, those ocean temperatures, they're at very, very strong record temperatures in, in not, not it's spread evenly around the globe, but in particular regions. And so in particular, the North Atlantic, so North Atlantic ocean temperatures are off the charts. Um, and, and then the North Pacific, but also interestingly, either side of Australia. So off to the east of New Zealand and out, out in the sort of Southern Indian Ocean or um, to the west of Australia. So. What I mean, I've been digging and trying to sort of understand what's going on a bit. And what's what's clear is that we've had um, quite a lot stronger than average westerly winds over southern Australia through the last through June and the last few months. And so basically, what you look at the rain maps, all the westerly exposed sort of locations like Western Air Peninsula, West Kangaroo Island, um, the Flurio Peninsula, and the southeast have all been the areas that have had the increased rainfall totals. And okay, and just summarising that, so you've got these warm waters, but uh, the oceans are not sort of uh, evenly warm. It's variable, and and there are certain patches of very very warm water, and some of that is around Australia. And you're saying that the winds are blowing towards us, and that's resulting in the rain. Yeah. So basically, um, yeah. So what we're seeing is seeing is there's um, yeah those areas either side of Australia that are quite strongly warm on average. Um, <clears throat> so basically, <clears throat> what that what that tends to mean is the high pressure systems tend to set sit out there associated with those warm waters, and so what that means is we've got high pressure systems either side of Australia. So the westerly winds as they come around, they then tend to peak over over southern Australia instead of out either side of Australia. And so we get these get these stronger westerly winds. And so we're anywhere that's as that's exposed to those westerly winds and gets that you know, bit of a coastal and topographic influence from the rainfall has gotten has had that enhanced rainfall effect. Okay. It's fascinating, um, Darren. And yeah. I, I, perhaps now's not the time to go into a lot of detail about that, but it's it's an mm -hmm. issue out there that uh, obviously climatologists are going to take a look at and it caused very wet weather in June. What's the likelihood that that system that's bringing the rain uh, to uh, particularly South Australia is likely to continue into July? So yeah, so that's that's really the fascinating thing, John. Is um, so we're continuing to see the El Nino conditions and and even the start of um, uh, you know, so the likelihood of of El Nino conditions, so hotter and drier influence from the Pacific Ocean, um, in the tropical Pacific Ocean, and also the positive Indian Ocean dipole, so hotter and drier influence from the northwestern Pacific, uh, sorry, north uh, northeastern Indian Ocean to the northwest of us. Um, both uh, continue to evolve towards, you know, El Nino conditions, and 
the so the US agency declared El Nino, but they use a lower threshold than Australian agencies. Um, so they actually declared that the El Nino events already started um, early in June. So yeah, we're, we're continuing to see that that as that as a very very likely influence through the rest of this year. But for I guess for Adelaide and for those locations that have been getting winter rainfall, um, that is being offset by the by the westerlies and, uh, and the ocean temperature patterns that we're seeing either side of Australia. So basically, we're in a situation where okay, it's really difficult to say which which one's going to going to going to win out, and the impacts whether the impacts of El Nino will do dominate or the Indian Ocean will dominate and the westerlies will dominate is going to be very tricky to to tease out and it will vary considerably where where you are so further inland if you're away from the coast you know into sort of northern agriculture districts it'll probably be more el nino indian ocean dipole dominated but for uh for adelaide um i suspect we're going to it's looking looking like we'll continue to get stronger westerlies and, and more cold frontal systems we had like about 11 cold frontal systems come through during june so it's just a succession one after the other of of strong westerlies and cold frontal systems and uh, so anyone up in the hills particularly um, it's been feeling very wet and daggy uh, for the last four weeks or so. Mm. Look on the text line Darren Trevor uh, <coughs> says I hear that our weather is a result of the ocean temperatures which is very much what you're saying I would like to know how climate change has this effect upon ocean temperatures i.e. dig a bit deeper on the how or the why in certain parts of the worlds and oceans why in one place and not another now I no. know that we could talk for many no, many many hours no. about that I but... don't think so. that that's complicated I haven't spoken to Darren and it's too complicated, and I think we need to focus. On so, the outlook. Yeah, yeah, I think sort of one of the ABC talks people, Sonia or... Uh, uh, or me next or, week, because I'm filling yeah, in for yeah, Sonia. Maybe I'll Darren pick it up then. That. Yeah, but we need to... So we come in... You were just focusing, Darren, on the fact that, uh, uh, OK, uh, the IOD and uh, the El Nino is out there, and it could be that... In South Australia, we could have the influence of, of the, uh, the weather system that was giving us the wet conditions in June. So would you care to predict rainfall for July for South well, Australia, particularly? Yeah. Um, well, I, 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 OK, so if you look at the models over the next sort of 10 days to two weeks, they've got... Um, so in, so enjoy this this weekend because we've actually got a little bit of a break. Um and then there's uh, basically systems winding up from Wednesday next week, um, and which will continue through to next weekend. So weekend after this is looking pretty, once again, pretty wintry and daggy. Um, and the, the like, just in the short term, the models have got rainfall totals of sort of 30 to 40, 50 millimetres just in the next sort of 10 days to two weeks. So, you know, it's looking pretty likely we'll end up with um, you know, something close, at least close to average and probably a pretty good chance of getting above average rainfall again. So, so you know, possibly another sort of, we could end up with, um, so it does look like in the, towards the end of the, at the end of the month, it'll sort of eases up a little bit mid-month and then looks like it'll come back in again and in the, um, towards the end, in the second half of the month. So, you know, I suspect we'll probably go another, by the end of the month, 70 
probably 60, 70 millimetres or right. so. The average for uh, July is 66 millimetres, so that's spot on what you're suggesting. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay, and temperatures? So once, but once again, it could end up being, you know, 80, 90, 100. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 okay. <laughs> so, and, and I think we need to say, Deb, you know, climatology is not an exact science. No. It, it's a science and it, it's, it's a guide to what might happen. And that's why we talked to Darren to give us a heads up of what could be happening so we can prepare from a gardening point of view. Mm. But uh, we interrupt. Yeah, so, and, uh, and, and your, your point, John, I mean, the models aren't doing it. <laughs> They're not doing a great job at the moment. It's very fair to say in terms of, um, you know, picking up this sort of localised influence. So what about temperatures for July? Um, so, I mean, surprisingly, I mean, it, it, it's felt wintry in, in bits, but actually the temperatures have been a little bit a little bit warmer than average. And um, so it does look like it would continue to be, be that sort of similar case Um you know, temperatures sort of around average, may touch warmer than average overall. But you know, we're at the very much the coldest time of year uh, for for Adelaide. So um, you know, that really mid July is the coldest time of the year. So it's going to feel a bit wintry. But actually, you know, in the scheme of things, it's probably um, with a bit of, little bit of global warming in there. Um, and the westerlies tend to tend to keep the cloud in and. Um, uh, windy nights tend to keep the nights a little bit warmer than average. So, yeah, overall it would be a little bit warmer than average. All right, and we move into August. Would you care to venture a comment on August at this stage? Well, you know, it's it's an interesting one because the, <coughs> you know, the ocean temperature patterns outside of Australia look like they're going to continue right through to the end of the year in a similar vein to what they would be, they've been the last month, uh, month or two. So the potential for wet conditions rather than dry conditions? Well, this yeah, this battle between you know, um, you know westerlies, strong westerlies over southern over over our part of the world, and the El Nino influence, and the and the drier uh, Indian Ocean influence. So, yeah, a really tricky one, John. Um, yeah, like spy and, versus uh, spy, isn't it? One system versus yeah. another. Yeah. Yeah. So the um, I mean the tropical activity, tropical activity looks like it'll be relatively active through July. Um, does look like a weekend a bit in August, um, and you know, starting to see a little bit more suppression of rainfall from from El Nino. So we'd expect things to get uh, to get a bit drier and a little bit warmer and clearer and warmer than average. So that's what we expect through August, September, and uh, the Indian Ocean influence looks like it'll have its peak impact then. So I'll be expecting things to be drier and getting drying drying out a bit more. But, you know, this got this westerly influence that look, looks like it could stay there for the rest right. of the year. Is it fair to ask you, you were suggesting, or the models were suggesting, and you, you rely very heavily on the models for what you provide to us, um, you were suggesting, or the models were suggesting, that summer could be exceed, exceedingly hot with heat waves. If the influence uh, that you're talking about over South Australia continues, could it be that uh, we mightn't get the heat waves? Well... So the, the, the once again, I mean, the models have got very hot temperatures in well, very warm, warm, quite a bit warmer than average temperatures in spring, and so we'd certainly expect that. Um, it's it is really going to be interesting because the uh, the weather patterns over southern Australia look like they're not going to be normally. You'd expect high pressure systems sitting in the Tasman Sea, so lots of northerlies, and that drags the heat down from the interior. But in terms of this impact from the ocean temperatures and weather patterns outside of Australia that I've been talking about, that looks like it will act, actually act in the opposite to that. So 
you know, once again, there'll we, we, probably be a lot of heat building up in the interior, but it actually might not be dragged down over, over us necessarily yet because of the, um, the sort of wind patterns that are going on. Darren, that's very interesting, and I don't think we could ask you to be more precise simply because of what's going on. Uh, there's one system and model suggesting one thing, and you're observing and others are observing that uh, there are changes in the air. Climate change is changing our weather and it's a lot to do with our oceans becoming warmer. I can just suggest, Darren, maybe we look forward very much to what you have to say the first week of next month and and maybe there's some clarification of uh, what you're suggesting and and what is happening from a modelling point of view. Yeah, thanks, John. And um, yeah, I mean, it's... um yeah, appreciated. You know, it's uh, it, it is it is really challenging, interesting, and uh, interesting but challenging times. Looking at the things that are going on in the global's perspective and and trying to pick apart what that means for us. Um, you know, there is some pretty challenging stuff going on, and the climate is is yeah, quite clearly uh, you know, starting to move into some new spaces, which is going to make things interesting for us all. Yes, and yeah. it's very obvious that South Australia's climate is not the same as what's happening along the eastern states. Just as well we've got a climatologist in South Australia. <laughs> and thank you for the work that you do and for talking with us and for Home Gardeners at the beginning of every month, Darren. We really appreciate it. Uh, thanks, Deb. Thanks, John. Thank you, Darren Ray, um, consulting climatologist there. Now, um, just get a few of the texts here. Marga Aberfoyle Parks is 181.5 millimetres for June. Rain on 19 days, 291 for May and June. Wow. Um, this uh, texter says, Funny thing about the June rain, I am just south of Meadows and seem to be in a bit of a rain hole in some years. This year is one of them. So while June has been good, it's only been just above average. Um, Adelaide had almost the same as me, which just simply shouldn't happen in winter. So a good start to winter, yes, but not record-breaking for everyone. Thank you very much. Um, Lynn at Christie says, This is our second winter living in Adelaide. I don't think it's as cold as last year yet we haven't had the relentless southwest wind coming up the gulf um neil in coffin bay says total rainfall for june 145 millimeters wettest june since 2001 wow ray from aldgate says my rainfall records show 305 millimeters in june thanks ray um, and uh darren says uh, sorry this texter says thanks darren from the drenched highlands <laughs> Deb, just before we leave the weather situation, uh, an observation. The first two weeks of June may have been wet and the second two weeks were even wetter, but from a temperature point of view, the first two weeks of June, temperatures were four to five degrees above average. Nighttime temperatures were four to five degrees above average, and that I do believe has had an influence on plants that come out in springtime. Watch this space. Okay. Thank you very much for your texts. Um, uh, 67 millimetres for June at, now am I getting this right, Newham? Wanderer East, 10 kilometres west of Crystal Brook. Sorry if I mispronounced that. Point Pass, 54 millimetres for June, less than last year. Had um, 17.5 one day in mid-June. Otherwise, two to three mils every day, but very cold and windy, says Monica. But Rick from Waruka, to end our conversation um, about the climate, says, I remind you what Macca says, the weather is fickle and has no memory. Thank you very much for that. Uh, we are Talk Back Gardening. Call in now for general Talk Back Gardening questions on one three hundred triple two eight nine one. Talk back gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe.
on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Yes, please call in on 1300 991 for your questions to be answered by John Lamb. We will be talking about uh, pruning roses a little bit later in the program with Gavin Woodson. I've still got a couple of ABC Organic Gardener magazines to give away. So if you're interested, the numbers, 1300 991 And for your comments, the text line, 0467 Off to West Beach now. Now, Jean, you've got an old frangipani, but it's a bit on the lean. Good morning. Good morning, Deb and uh, John. Uh, yeah, I've got this strange... It's uh, I'm renting a, a property and it's um, the frangipani originally was up against a wall. And as time's gone by, she's starting to lean over. And I'm just wondering if John could give me some advice whether to cut it right back and, and, and let it go or maybe she's reached her um, you know, heyday. When you say it's leaning, is it leaning along the side of the wall or is it leaning out from the wall? Uh, leaning out from the wall. All right. And uh, does it look? Does it move round if you if you touch the main stump? Can you move it at all? Or I can I can move the whole um, system. I mean, it's quite quite old. It's um, you know you need a ladder to climb up to the top of it. Um, and and, and produce, just, it produces it, lots of lovely flowers. Beautiful flowers. Right. You know, it's it, it's a real beautiful old old piece. You know. There is and, no um, rule that says a frangipani has to be upright. <laughs> and, <laughs> and if it, uh, I mean, uh, I can remember years ago in the garden, uh, I had some uh, natives and, and I purposely lent them over so that they weren't upright, so that they had a, um, a bush look about them. That was years ago. And, and from your point of view, if, if you don't, uh, if you're not upset by its look, it's not going to affect the high, the, the frangipani. It will continue. And the thing is, if you try and, and move uh, the plant and upright it, uh, I would suggest that uh, it will uh, uh, mess around with the root system. And certainly, if you cut it back, its likelihood of coming back to what it was in its former glory, I think, is pretty low. Um, if you remove the top, uh, you reduce the ability of the root system to provide the energy to produce the flowers that it produces. And so I would say, um, what am I saying? I'm saying leave well alone. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's, it's a shame because it's just, it, it, as time's gone by in the last, say, year, it's, it's probably moved a good six inches away from the original, you know, the fence that it was leaning up against. And I'm just wondering one day I'll walk out and I'll end up catching it in my lap, you know. It's one of those, it's a well, bit well, if you're concerned, I'd be getting not a, a, a metal stake, but get a wood stake and uh, get a stake that looks like the same colour as the, the trunk of the tree. Uh, and uh, uh, stake it, and uh, again, it doesn't have to be sort of upright. It could be you know, uh, semi-horizontal, so that. Uh, but it, you get yeah. a, a a big stake and put it into the ground, well into the ground, so the stake doesn't move. Attach the stem of, or the trunk of your tree to that stake, and it might be you, you might need a couple of of very strong stakes. We're looking at sort of things that could be uh, four or five centimeters square. Um, and, and uh, that will just give it the stability. So it's on a lean, but it can't lean anymore. Okay. Well, look, thank you very much, John. Thanks, Jean. I guess it's better to have a lovely old frangipani that's leaning than uh, no frangipani at all. So <laughs> good luck with that. No, Thanks very, very much. Thank you for calling in. Uh, Paul is in Manningham. Paul, you'd like to move a crab apple tree. 
Uh, yes, yes. Hello, John and Deb. Um, yeah, I have a two-year-old Bechtel's crab apple, and um, oh, it's about a metre and a half tall. And I just wondered, you know, when the best time would be that I could shift that safely. How old is it? Uh, two years, just two years, John. Oh, okay. No, okay, you can do it any time during winter. It won't have re-established much of a root system uh, in two years. So just come out oh, okay. uh, probably 60 centimetres all round from the, the trunk and go down and take as much of the root system as you can. But it's mm. not growing during winter, it's dormant. And so uh, the amount of a setback trauma to the root system will be minimal. Oh, okay. And I, uh, do I need to prune it at all oh, uh, yes. before I shift it? Uh, well, after you've shifted it, because it may be in the shifting you break something or uh, um, it's much oh, yeah. better to move it and then uh, say, right, I'll uh, remove, uh, take a look at the main stems and cut those back perhaps by 25 to 30%. And if need mm. be, uh, if you have damaged a lot of the root system, uh, some of the side branches, you could also just take the tips of those or come back about 10% on the side branches and just reduce oh, yeah. the, the canopy just a, a little. And I think you'll find mm. that it'll repair itself fairly quickly. Oh, okay. And what about a stimulant for the roots, uh, like sea salt sort of thing? Uh, well, uh, should I wait until need that? It, uh, yeah, well, the important thing is <clears throat> if you're, you're just going to chop it back or are you going to move it? I am moving it a couple of metres to a, a better position. Right, well, <coughs> now that's, is the time to improve the soil uh, where it's going to go, the new location. Put as much oh, yeah. good quality compost in now and then I would leave the operation of moving it until maybe the middle of August. At that stage, uh, the root system will just be starting to uh, uh, rev up a little bit, and if you put mm. it into good, improved soil, it shouldn't miss a beat. Okay. I had one small second question. Is that all right? It was. Oh, you have to be quick, Paul. Okay. I've seen this unique little plant called black mondo grass. Yes. But I find it very hard to find. Uh, can you give me some tips where I could get it? I suggest uh, if you go to a good quality garden centre, tell him what they want, and uh, uh, so long as you don't want it this week, uh, they all should be able to access it for you. I presume you'd want more than one little plant, and uh, oh, yeah, they, yeah. you know if you, uh, they'll put in an order for you and access that for you. That's the role of uh, good old home garden family garden centres. Yeah, I wanted about 30, and one, a few places have yeah, been $15 well, sure. well, a pound. You well, know, they'll, oh, wow. they'll love you for that. <laughs> Sorry? They'll love you. A good garden centre will love to look after you. Oh, OK. <laughs> yeah, now I thought you might have one where the price was a bit more reasonable when you're buying so many. I don't believe in the lowest price. <laughs> but anyway... <laughs> We won't More about there. that later. Yep, thanks, Paul. Well, good luck moving the crab apple tree. Thanks for calling in. one three hundred triple two eight nine one is the number. Claire is in Harndorf uh, with a very common sort of scenario at this time of year. Good morning, Claire. Hi, how are you going? Good, good thank you. And yet sour sobs have taken over your garden? I, yes, absolutely. I've got uh, some rock walls um, and areas. I've managed to clear away the bigger beds over the last couple of years um, but I've got a couple of patches and I'm really struggling to, to get the sour sops, particularly under some natives and, and prostrate plants just wondering if you've got any uh, any magic tips At what stage of growth I suppose is the question are they budding up or have they started to flower? 
Uh, most of it is still budding up. Um, there's a couple of spots that get a bit more sun that have, that have uh, uh, got to flowers. Tomorrow it shouldn't be wet. It should be reasonable. And tomorrow is a good time for gardeners to get stuck into the weeds in the garden and do some pruning. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> I would suggest that uh, if you get your sour sobs that are well advanced but just starting to bud up and pull them out and just pull them out. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason I say that is because um, next week, he doesn't know I'm a, I've invited him, but next week, <laughs> Chris Butler, who is our <laughs> agronomist from Roseworthy, and he's just sent me some lovely information on uh, sour sub control without having to use chemicals. And uh, mm-hmm. Chris, I'll put you on notice if you're available <laughs> next Saturday, we'll talk sour sub control, if that's all right. But, but the thing is, <clears throat> it's timing. And what's happening at the moment, as the uh, plants are just starting to bud up and before the flowers have opened, they've used all the energy in, in last year's uh, bulb and it's at its weakest. And if you pull them out of the ground, according to Chris, that's a good way of controlling them. That, that They haven't got time to, to replenish themselves. If you wait mm-hmm. until they've flowered, uh, they're starting to restore their uh, energy for the following season, and it's too late, and you probably do need a, uh, a weed aside at that stage. But anyway, um, an interesting question, and I think there's a lot of sour sobs out there, so I would encourage people to stay tuned next week. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks, Claire. You preempted uh, the program by a week there. Lovely to hear from you. One three hundred triple two eight nine one is the number. Now, Erica is in Virginia, and you would like to know about soil for an African violet, Erica. Yes, I do. I'm, I'm sure I used to see years ago that you could buy little bags of African soil. violet soil. Yes. Yes. Well, I've looked everywhere, can't find it. Um, I'm, I'm asking, do they need acid potting soil or just neutral or what? I suggest that if you buy a bag of potting mix for azaleas and camellias... That, acid. That's you acid, think? yeah. That's the okay. good starting point. And they need very good drainage. Uh, you might at the same time buy a, a small bag of... Uh, of uh, Oh, white material. What am I trying to think? Oh, the um, perlite? Perlite, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Isn't it awful when you're thinking of something and it disappears? Uh, Okay, yeah, just a bit of perlite. What you need is something that will just increase the amount of air and drainage in in the mix, and perlite is ideal for that. Um, If they haven't got perlite... It's going to be in a pot, yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Is that okay? Yeah, yes, if you yes. can't I just wondered if they needed acid. I had an idea they might, so I can do that. Thank yeah. you. That, yeah. That's right. Thanks. Okay. Thanks, Erica, for the call. Appreciate it very much. Now we are heading <coughs> to Melbourne now. Margaret, you would like some advice on dividing and moving rhubarb. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Uh, yes, yes. I, I don't know if it's the right program to uh, show to ask this, but... Um, I seem to have about five little rhubarb plants. They're all doing very well, but I just wondered whether I should divide them now or wait till spring. All right. Which suburb are you in, Margaret? Uh, Clifton Hill. Okay. No, no, I know Melbourne well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, so we've got uh, quite a lot of listeners over in uh, Melbourne, and I also have a son over there. and uh, Sisters. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So with rhubarb, they're not going to do much at the moment. 
Uh, so wait until probably we get into the middle of August, um, right. suggesting it's going to be a little bit warmer than normal and the rhubarb will start growing probably a little bit earlier than normal. But uh, if you dig it up or plant it at that stage, uh, it gets the minimum amount of setback and every opportunity of establishing a new root system. The most okay. important thing with rhubarb, they, have, uh, 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 they just don't like wet feet. So make yeah. sure the soil is well draining. Um, and if it's not, uh, put your rhubarb back onto a little raised bed. Uh, get uh, uh, a bed that's probably about 10 to 15 centimetres higher than the rest of the ground. Maybe uh, I'd be investing in a bag of potting mix and mix that yeah. up with the existing topsoil so that you've got a 50-50 blend and you've got a square metre of raised soil and the robe, I think, would be uh, quite happy in that kind of a condition. Oh, that's 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 great. Thank you very much. Because um, it, it's it's part of it is doing really well, and the other part they're get, it's getting rotten and soggy, and uh, I have to throw them away. And I think it's still wet. So that's fantastic. When I re re uh, when I divide them, I take them all out and then plant them again in, in the raised bed. Yes. Now bear in mind you're Melbourne not Adelaide and I am suggesting that probably Adelaide might be a little bit warmer and drier in that August period so if you're getting wet weather in August just delay it until uh, the, the topsoil just dries out a little bit. Thank you Margaret. <coughs> uh, on the text line getting a few uh, different <coughs> things saying uh, Lisa from Hindmarsh Island is saying the seasons are really mixed up at the moment. Some of our spring bulbs are in flower. Wow Lisa. Gail says um, 55 millimetres in Murray Bridge for June. That's good for us. No frost so far and I hope we still get cherries. Thanks Gail. Uh, Deb says could all this extra rain explain the influx of rats a real problem in the Murraylands and Monato. And yes, they can, because Sonia Feldhoff did a story on that very topic only last week. So what are they living on? Well, they just, they just whatever they can find, basically. Okay, well, if you take a look at last harvest, the last grain harvest was extremely, extremely good. And some of that grain would have fallen on the ground and it's more likely you get a mouse plague after that kind of a harvest, but it could be the rats have also discovered uh, that there's lots of seed around, and so long as there's seed there, they'll, their populations will stay up. And then once they start running out of feed, uh, they might be out in the paddocks and things like that, they've run out of feed, then they come into gardens and yes. start looking for feed mm, in what's your here? garden. Yeah. Yes, that's right. So. <laughs> and thank you for that. And finally, this text has said, the possums are already chewing off young leaves on my apple tree. I never had to net it in winter. Thank Thanks for that. We are talking about pruning roses with Gavin Woods, former president of the Australian Rose Society. Next. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe. On ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. If you have roses in your garden, you're probably wondering, do I prune or when do I prune? And could be there's a dilemma out there because there are still leaves on the bushes and you haven't pruned. Or it could be that the bushes are starting to produce next year's buds and they're starting to open and you haven't pruned. Is there a right time to prune? That's the question we pose to Rosarian Gavin Wood, who's our go-to person on Talkback Gardening. Good morning to you, Gavin. Good morning, John. Good morning, Deb. So the first question, have you pruned your roses? Because you've got lots of them. 
I'm only just thinking about it, John, and the thought's quite daunting. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, is it right you shouldn't prune when it's wet for roses? You shouldn't do that with, with fruit trees. What about roses? Uh, look, I don't think <clears throat> it uh, matters all that much, John, to be honest. Uh, we don't have, you know, the moisture they have in Europe, so... It's usually not a problem here in South Australia. Well, let's take a look at the dilemma. Uh, there are many bushes that are still got last year's leaves on them and they haven't been pruned. To prune or not? Oh, absolutely. July's the month to prune. I'd be getting into it whether they've got leaves or not. OK. Um, is there a reason why you say July? Well, um, any, any time after the winter solstice, really, um, roses are at their most dormant then. Really, we have quite a short dormancy of roses in South Australia, so you're right, many of them are already shooting. Um, but, yeah, July's the ideal time, certainly on the plains. In the Adelaide Hills, probably you delay it until early to mid-August because of the risk of frost. Last week we had a couple of callers suggesting that uh, their bushes are breaking bud and that actually the, the growth is starting to elongate. Does that surprise you? No, John, I think that's quite normal. I guess we're finding a bit more of that perhaps with climate change and the warmer environment. But um, you'll only find that the top few buds are in fact shooting and normally we prune below that in any case. So you're still pruning to dormant buds. And so if... don't, don't be concerned that your rose is moving. All right, so if they have actually, the buds are broken, uh, you're still pruned uh, and as you say, you're just taking the, the growth buds off and away it goes again. That's right. Yeah. From a black spot point of view, there is... Uh, a very, it was very, very wet last spring, and, and black spot was a, a very significant problem, and then uh, it disappeared. And with people still having leaves on their bushes at this time of the year, is that a potential problem? If you have the leaves on the bushes and you carry out your pruning, are you likely to get a carryover of the black spot into the following spring? Oh, absolutely, John. Look, it's very important when you prune to remove all the foliage from the plant and dispose of that fairly carefully because, of course, fungal disease is by and large caused by droplet reinfection of the plant. So if you leave that foliage on the ground, as soon as your plant's in growth and we have rains which splashes you know, moisture from the ground up to the bottom leaves, you'll reinfect your plant. So very carefully remove all the leaves, put them in a plastic bag, put them in your green waste bin. Can I just say, I've got some very old rose bushes, Gavin, and I went to a fantastic demonstration by the Rose Society many, many years ago, and I was very confident in pruning them, but my skills have waned, and now I've got these big old roses, and I'd really love to hear from you on how we go about pruning them, because uh, I think we need to get our confidence back i certainly do yeah well deb it sounds as though you need to be pretty tough this year with them uh, i'm not generally an advocate of hard pruning so uh, as john put in his blog yesterday about 50 percent is about the right formula remove 50 percent of the growth but if you've got a big old rose that hasn't uh, been treated properly for several years get tough on it and cut it back really hard 
Some people are not too sure about how to prune. Uh, they've got a pair of uh, hedge clippers. What would happen if you just clipped and used your hedge clippers to just uh, trim your bush? Would, would you still get roses? Oh, you would, John. And I see you put that in your blog too, and I was horrified to read it. <laughs> but there, there was a time when, you know, the chainsaw hedge clipper mode of pruning was advocated. Um, I can say you'll get away with it for a year or two, but there comes the point where you need to get serious and, and remove all the dead wood and prune the rose properly. So you're getting weaker weaker branches and, and smaller bushes, uh, flowers? Very often, yeah. yes. The reason that that appears sometimes in the, the newsletter is uh, it would have been some 20, 25 years ago, the uh, um, Royal Agricultural Society, Horticultural Society in London, of all places, they actually carried out some trials and they trialled secretary pruning versus hedge pruning and uh, they indicated they only did it for one year. <laughs> That's probably explained. Well, there you go. If they've they done it for the next 10. In, in the first year, it look good, but uh, probably if you uh, take on board what you're saying, Darren, if they, uh, Gavin, if they kept on doing that, uh, it probably wouldn't look so good. Yeah, and look, there was a very famous TV gardening presenter who shall remain nameless, <laughs> uh, who advocated that as well. But um, look, a lot of our miniatures are pruned that way simply because, you know, they've got a lot of growth and they're close to the ground and very difficult to get to, but I only use it as a last resort, and I know that if I just hack them back one year, the following year I'm going to have to spend time and sort them out properly. So what is the proper approach to roses, Gavin? I mean, what are we looking to remove, and what are we looking to retain, and what sort of balances are we trying to get? Well, Deb, I, th I think the most important thing first is to determine the type of rose you're pruning and what you want it to achieve. So we prune hybrid teas different to floribundas and shrubs, different to standards, different to climbers. Okay, so if you want a climber to cover a wall, you need to prune it very differently to the way you'd prune a standard rose. So how do you <coughs> prune a climbing rose? The, the first thing to say with climbers is you leave them alone for the first two or three years of their growth because particularly if they're sports from hybrid teas rather than true climbers, and we haven't got time to go into that, but if you prune them early in their life, they will very often revert. They'll stop, you'll prevent them from climbing. So once they're established, you need to select the new long canes and just remove the very tips of them and tie them no lower than horizontal because they won't flower if uh, their the canes are at a lower angle than horizontal. So secure them fairly well to the structure you've got. The secondary growth, once those long canes flower, you get secondary growth that they flowered from and I just then spur prune so just remove the flower and leave a little bit of wood on the long cane which will produce another crop of flowers the following year. So that's basically climbers, they're easy if you know how. 
And I think we'll leave the pruning of bush roses. Uh, if people can go along to a pruning demonstration by with the Rose Society or various organisations, that's a wonderful way of learning. But, uh, Deb, I think there's uh, one more question. Oh, well, we've got a caller on the line, but also getting some people saying you, you mentioned putting plastic bags in the green bin, but you meant the compostable bags, Gavin, are we, I'm assuming, there into the green bin. <laughs> oh. Or, or you carry the plastic bag to the green bin and tip your tip leaves out. Yep. out of the plastic bag. That's right. Yep. Just just to confirm, we're not ever advocating anything in the green bin but green waste. Uh, Tamara from Hackham West has a quick question. It's not on pruning, it's on propagation. Can you ask um, what, what you'd like, Tamara? Good morning. Good morning. I was just wondering, since we're pruning, um, is it possible to propagate rose bushes and how do you do it? Because I've never done it. It sure is, Tamara. So... There are two stages in propagating roses. The first thing is the cane needs to callus. So I would uh, take cuttings um, about six to 12 inches long, remove all the prickles and the leaves and wrap them in damp newspaper for about 14 days. Damp newspaper in a plastic bag. That will ensure they callus. It's then just a matter of popping them in the ground uh, or in a pot and keeping them moist, not wet and a certain percentage will grow. They won't all grow, but you should get some success that way. Good luck, Tamara. And just uh, Jessie's raised a question that I wanted to raise as well, Gavin, is what's the best way to clean secateurs between your rose bushes? Well, ideally you've got secateurs that, oh, I'm sorry, clean them between rose bushes. Okay, well, that that is a contentious point, but um, 50% metho if you're concerned about the spread of viral disease is the best way to sterilise your pruners. And one final question. Uh, at Black Spot, we come back to that issue, and it could be that we're going to get some wet weather at the bud burst. What's Gavin Wood doing to control Black Spot this spring? Look, John, the most important spray of the year, and it's the only spray I use, is a winter, winter spray. So as soon as you finish <coughs> pruning... I uh, cover them in lime, lime sulphur, the entire plant and the soil as well. And that's a contact fungicide. Hopefully will reduce a lot of the fungal spores. About two weeks later, I try and follow up with a white oil spray. And those winter... If, if, yeah, go on. If you do that, if you, if you ensure two good winter sprays you may not need to spray for the entire growing season. That's wonderful advice. And we'll talk more about winter sprays over the next two or three weeks in Talkback Gardening. Gavin, when I rang and spoke to you yesterday, I suggested, can I borrow you for about two or three minutes? Um, it's just, I think I've extended beyond my two or three minutes. Thank you very much for your contribution this morning. You're welcome, John. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Gavin. Appreciate it. Former president of the Australian Rose Society and great Rosarian. Well, if you haven't won anything from ABC Radio Adelaide in the last month and you'd like to win yourself an ABC Organic Gardener magazine, then call in now. one three hundred triple two eight nine one. We have two to give away. This is Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. And thank you to the text that said, Deadheaded my mum's roses in Crystal Brook in April and now they are fully leaved and flowering madly. Yes, that's the times at the moment, isn't it? Well, Debbie's in Murray Bridge with a crepe myrtle question. Hi, Debbie. 
Yeah, hi Debbie and John. Um, just a question about my crepe myrtle. Unfortunately, on east side of Murray Bridge, we're not getting as much rain. I bought one here last year, planted it. It was only about um, 30, 40 centimetres high and it wasn't growing at all. I'm not sure how long it take to grow. So I decided to dig it up and thought perhaps I should put it in a pot and the ground is so dry. <laughs> We're on limestone and we get a mill or two every now and again, but a lot of wind, I think, dries things out. So do you think I should put it in a pot rather than put it back out in the ground? I think it would be much happier in the ground, providing you uh, improved the quality of the soil and uh, could guarantee that it, it got moisture. Um, is that a possibility? Unfortunately, it's limestones. Outside our um, front backyard, it's in an open yard. Yes. It's limestone, only a bit of soil there. Yes. They are very, very tolerant of harsh conditions, and they don't oh. mind limestone. Uh, if you could uh, build up the soil so you've got at least 20, 25 centimetres of, of soil, uh, you might <coughs> only be, say, two, uh, two square metres of that uh, and plant it into that. But uh, I think you're more concerned about will it grow in a container. If it's in a, the right size container, it's a new plant at the moment, so I would be making sure that uh, uh, for the first couple of years the container wasn't too large, something that may be 20 to 25 centimetres diameter and uh, it would sort of grow in that for the first year, maybe two years, and then move it, uh, repot it, so that eventually, you, if you want to have a decent-sized tree, you'll need to end up with a container that's probably about uh, half wine barrel size. It's, uh, they grow into quite a, a sizable uh, plant, and uh, they, if you don't give them the soil and the moisture and the nutrients, you won't have the lovely flowers that they're capable of producing. Yeah, okay. I was a bit concerned with the hot weather coming, so I was debating whether to put it back out in the grounds for that reason. No, okay. I mean, it, it, you could put it in a container now. I mean, it's dormant, yes. so it's not going to worry whether it goes into the ground or whether it goes into the container. If you uh, are happy of putting it in a container, I mean, just making sure it's good quality uh, potting soil that it's growing in and make sure that you've got a, a watering system or that you don't let it dry out during that critical uh, December, January, uh, February period. Uh, it would be quite okay. Thanks, Debbie, for the call, <laughs> and congratulations to Mary in Mulvan and Stephanie in Bridgewater, who've won the ABC Organic Gardener magazines. Uh, Maria is in Seaview Downs with a rose question. Hi, Maria. Oh, hello. Yes, um, I've basically got the same problem as the lady that was just on. I want to talk to Gavin about. I've got um, limestone like a sandwich. It, it's got twenty centimetres of. Um, good soil then there's 30 and then there's a little gap of good and then it goes solid again my roses have been in pots for a long time and i was wondering how long i've had it in a wine barrel once and that split and you know disappeared then i moved it into a black like 60 centimeter pot and i was just wondering how long can you keep a rose in a pot for oh as long as you like uh, forever and ever amen uh, so long as the soil it's growing in has got nutrition and it's moist, um, you'll find that people have got uh, roses that have been there probably for uh, 30 or 40 years. But uh, uh, you just need to be aware that you've got to replenish. Uh, it, you, you prune the top. You need to do a bit of root pruning, so going around the edge of the, uh, the root ball and just reducing that little bit and making sure that you're giving uh, the soil every opportunity to be, remain healthy by using lots of organic mulch and using organic fertilisers and making sure that it's 
well watered, uh, it should continue to grow, as I say, for, I won't say, forever and ever. <laughs> Amen. Good news, Maria. You don't have to do much there. Um, thank you very much for all your calls and texts this morning. There have been more than I could possibly get to, but lovely to hear from you. John, weather tomorrow is pretty great for home gardeners. A wonderful opportunity to wage war on weeds. They're young and they're very vulnerable. Get them while they're small. And I think uh, if you can carry out any pruning that you have to do tomorrow, more wet weather on the way. And next week we're going to talk sour sobs. Chris Butler, if you're listening, we want you. <laughs> Until next week, good gardening.